This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Mike, I've driven the back roads of Nebraska many times in my life. I've heard all about Johnny Rogers. But I've never heard of this kid, Johnny Trueblood. <laughs> Welcome to... The Johnny Trueblood Fan Club Podcast. It's a Thursday afternoon. Nebraska has just beaten Maryland to become the second ever 13 seed in the Big Ten Tournament to advance to the quarterfinals. They've won two games in a row uh, with exactly two players on their bench playing. This is an an improbable run, a remarkable run. Um, They're still going to be playing probably, well... Could possibly be playing by the time you're listening to this, depending on when you're listening to this. But they've got a game Friday against Wisconsin, four-seed Wisconsin. If they win that, they will play uh, Michigan State in the semis, I think. Yeah, semis. Joining us to break all of this down and to basically... We're just going to fawn over Johnny Trueblood for 45 minutes is basically what I would like to do. Um, So joining us to help do that is Jacob Padilla. Welcome. Or thanks for Hello. having me, I suppose. Um, yeah, I, I'm your guy if you want to talk about uh, walk-ons and local kids and basketball. That's that's all right up my alley. Yeah, this guy is a walk-on basketball player from Omaha, Nebraska. So it's like we couldn't have found a better person to talk about him on the podcast. Yep, I uh, covered him in high school, so should be good. You're old. <laughs> I know. I am, aren't I? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you're old talk talk about talk about johnny yeah. i mean just like his his time before nebraska his his four years basically at nebraska of sitting on the bench and not really doing anything so yeah the, it's amazing seeing johnny trueblood do these things um like i mentioned i covered him in high school um elkhorn south he was a big time bucket getter um justin costello actually surpassed his uh school record for points in a career but Johnny's had the best season as a senior. He averaged 23 a game. And I was at a game where I think it was 42 is what he scored. Uh, 41, 42, something like that. Uh, either way, it's a school record. So you got a guy that's known, used to being the guy and getting buckets and then walking on at Nebraska where you, you hardly get a play. You basically just go to practice and try to make other guys get better. You don't really shoot the ball much. Um, I'm sure that had to be a, a, a tough adjustment for them and for him. And he actually did leave the team, um, sophomore year. He, uh, basically just went to school, um, decided, uh, it wasn't worth it. And he really started to miss the game and Tim Oz was willing to take him back there as his junior year. And so seeing him kind of, after all that grow into this guy that he is now, um, it's really cool for me just knowing him a little bit, um, the great kid, um, uh, he works hard, and um, the the way he's adapted his game, like I said, he he was a scorer. Um, he's a dude that was really good at getting to the rim and drawing fouls and finishing around the rim. Wasn't always a great perimeter shooter, but could knock down a shot from here and there. So the way he's kind of morphed into the ultimate glue guy 
um, I think is a testament to him. And it's just kind of a great story for all walk-ons, like that kind of success story. I don't, I, I know uh, Nick Ba and others have said, um, like, you thought he could help the team all season long. And um, why is Miles waiting until now to do it? I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, heck, in this in the Wisconsin game, we could see the the batters exploit him and that, that plus minus could go the opposite way. And so I think over the course of the season, they wouldn't have been able to get this from him every single game. But what he's doing now has been really impressive and it's been really cool to see. So he left the team as a sophomore. That's what you meant when you tweet. You tweeted like yesterday or the day before, like maybe Johnny will use his final year of eligibility. Is that what, that what you meant? Yeah, he uh, he's actually a junior athletically, but a senior academically. He just went to school his sophomore year. But he like went through senior day stuff, didn't he? Yes, and that's because he's graduating and is ready to move on with his life. But like I said if he wanted to play another year, take a few grad classes or whatever, he could do that. He's got that eligibility, but dude, um, he should come back. <laughs> that's that's why I tweet that. Maybe uh, maybe it's given him uh, some second guesses uh, now that with the way things are going. And now all of a sudden he's uh, he's played the last three games for Nebraska. Nebraska's won all three of them. He's played seventy seven minutes. He's scored a grand total of eight points, and Nebraska has outscored opponents by forty eight points when he's on the court. <laughs> so that that in and of itself is just absolutely ridiculous that he's not really providing much offensively but they have been so much better with him on the basketball court why is that yeah that's a good question because um obviously I, I was busy on sunday during the iowa game when this all started so i didn't get to watch it live um i was actually with someone from elkhorn south who played with johnny um jj zumbrennan's his name it went on to play at wayne state but uh, uh he, he mentioned yeah johnny played a ton. I went and looked at the box score and saw he played 26 minutes. I was like, what the heck happened? And and I saw the plus minus and um, all that. And I, I was thinking, oh, this is a nice story. Um, watched it back and saw that kind of he was just doing little things. He was moving the ball. He was boxing out. He was matched up with Joe Wieskamp in that game primarily, who's a 6'6", 205-pound uh, uh, freshman, one of the better freshmen in the conference. And Johnny's about six three, um, walk on kid versus a four star top uh, seventy five, top fifty recruit type of thing. So, and he helped more than held his own. I mean, I think there was one play where Wieskamp kind of overwhelmed him just because of how much taller he was and athletic on the glass. But he he fought him. He boxed out. Um, he uh, took one probably ill advised shot late, but uh, for the most part, he's just kind of out there and helping each other out and. I figured coming back, like in the the Big Ten tournament, I thought teams would uh, be able to exploit him more, attack him, um, kind of run their stuff towards him. But he, that one, they haven't really done that, and two, when he has been matched up on ball, he's done a good job of staying in front of them. So um, sometimes when you've got guys like Roby and Palmer and Watson and you don't need another score out there. You need another guy that does the little things, and that's what Trueblood's given them. You know what the most, or I guess the craziest, uh, I'm looking at the box score for this Nebraska-Maryland game, um, 69-61 win for Nebraska. 61 possessions. They scored on 31 of them. 1.13 points per possession. That's a, that's absurd. That's really good. For six scholarship players, seven seven players 
uh, seeing the court total, one of them being a walk-on player. Is there... I feel like there's something to be made for... Nebraska has a, a very, very small... You can't even call it a rotation at this point. It's a very, very small collection of players who all have uh, firmly defined roles and are going into these games knowing, I have to do this, this, and this for us to win. And this, this, and this are different for each guy. So, like, for True Blood, it's like, play really, really good defense. Don't do anything stupid on offense. For a guy like Borkhart, it's hold your own inside, wall off the paint if you need to, get some rebounds. For Palmer, it's score. For Watson, it's score. And everybody is accomplishing their goals right and everybody's filling their roles really really well and it's led to two wins in the conference tournament do you think that has anything to do with this because they've been successful offensively in the last couple of games do you think that has anything to do with it well the interesting thing about that is it's not like they've been playing with a deep rotation all season long I mean there are games where Miles went with a self-imposed five-man six-man seven-man lineup so it is kind of interesting that uh, now that you're down to this particular group that they've been able to click so well. And I mean, you look at this game, Brody Hyman played six minutes and that was it. So you basically played six guys the entire game. Palmer and Watson went 40, Roby went 37, and then 25, 26, 26 for True Blood, uh, Thorby Arnerson and Borkhart. So um, I... I <sighs> I don't know. Maybe these guys are fitting together a little bit better than trying to mix in a guy like Nana Kenton or some of the other guys that they had been playing off the bench. Um, I think a big part of it, though, is the way that James Palmer Jr. is playing. And you can say maybe there's something behind that. But overall, I think it's just him playing well. He's not missing the shots that he was missing down the stretch of the season. He's hitting jumpers. He's finishing at the rim. And he wasn't always doing that. Um, I don't know how many times he kind of charged in out of control and put up a shot that uh, that he couldn't get to go. And so that's not happening right now. And that is has as much to do with what is happening right now as anything else. Well, I want to talk about Palmer in a little bit because the scoring that he's got going on in like his last four or five games is crazy. Um, but let's let's stick on some of the 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 non factors, so to speak, offensively. So like. Borkart had two points. Thurbjarnison had four points. Trueblood had five. These are guys that are not scoring. They're not, not, none of these guys are averaging more than three points a game on the season. And I, if I remember correctly, Tim Miles said something in the postgame press conference after the, the Maryland win that hit, the stars are, um, I'm trying to remember the wording that he uses, uh, accepting maybe the limitations of the guys around them and playing to their strengths. And then the guys that are, not scores, the guys that know that they're not scores, the guys that know that they're going to have to defer to a Roby and a Watson and a Palmer, aren't doing too much. They're they're doing what they need to do. So, like, I'm thinking about this one very specific play. It, there's, like, there's it, we're just under two minutes left in the game. Maryland has made it a six-point game at 61-55. to 55. Thorby Arnerson misses a shot in the corner. Trueblood gets the rebound, the offensive rebound, wrestles it away from Bruno Fernando, of all freaking people, yeah. <laughs> huge Bruno Fernando takes the offensive rebound away from him. This little walk-on kid from Omaha, and then kicks it out, and Nebraska gets a three out of it. So, is is that sustainable over however many games Nebraska needs 
<laughs> at this point <laughs> in the Big Ten tournament? Like, can you continue to play that way where you've got three guys who are basically – like, you, if you look at the box score, Palmer had 13, Watson had 12 shots, Roby had 17 shots, nobody else had more than four, and nobody else made more than two. Like, is that brand of basketball sustainable when you're relying on three guys to be the bulk of, of your, your offensive scoring and everybody else just basically – uh, serve as an Andre Robertson role, like what I'm used to. <laughs> That's that was the question, and I I thought the answer was no. Um, uh, coming into today, I figured that again with those guys in the lineup, that Maryland would be able to exploit their weaknesses, target them, uh, and then load up the defense against Palmer and Watson. And that didn't really happen today. You wonder if maybe Wisconsin will be a little bit different, but. Um, as long as Palmer and Watson are playing the way they are right now, the thing about this, these two wins is Roby didn't even play very well. He's got uh, 25 shots. No, he's had two bad showings. 25 points on 29 shots in two games, and they're still getting it yeah. done. That's how yeah. good Palmer and um, Watson was really good today. It wasn't as good previously, but um, if your guys are that good, if the, if the other team can't stop them, um, then there's no need for anybody else to – do more um, as long as they keep these games low scoring, um, especially a team like Wisconsin, who isn't another explosive team. Um, that game will probably be in the 60s as well, something like that. I mean, the last time they played, it was 62-51 Wisconsin. So um, it's I think it's going to be another kind of similar matchup as the first two and how well those guys play will determine it. The common refrain with these lineups that, that Tim Miles keeps rolling out is that Nebraska's playing three on five basically offensively um with with Borkhart or uh, or Borkhart and either Thor Bjarnason or uh True Blood or they've got Brady Hyman on the floor like ha- have you gotten that sense watching the game that they are in fact playing three on five or are those guys doing enough to make themselves like playable I mean obviously they're they have to play because there's nobody else that can play yeah um I, they are playing three on five a lot but those guys are also kind of there if they need to be and all those guys made some big plays like that. Um, you mentioned the rebound from uh, True Blood to set up the Palmer at three, but uh, Borkhart, Nebraska had missed, early in the game, Nebraska had missed 10 straight shots, gave up a 9-0 run uh, to, let, uh, to make it a five-point game, I believe, at that point. And then Borkhart grabbed the offensive rebound, and kicked it out. Nebraska ran through um, some actions or whatever. Clock went down and got inside to Roby, who dumped it off to Borkhart, and he laid it in with like two on the shot clock or whatever. So like that, those were his only two points of the game, but it came at a huge moment because it sparked a 9-0 run by Nebraska. Um, True Blood hit a three. That was big time. And then he got that layup late when Maryland was scrambling and trying to uh, uh, get back into the game. So that just kind of helped because Nebraska didn't exactly shoot well from the free throw line down the stretch. So scoring without having to uh, go to the free throw line was big in that moment. And so as long as they get timely buckets, I don't think you need a ton of buckets from that group. And uh, let's give Thorby Arneson some time in the sun because he had five steals in this game, which I feel like is probably a career high for him. <laughs> he had the game-saving block against Iowa to to close out the regular season. Was this Their defense looks like it's it's starting to get back to the defense that we saw towards the beginning of the season. Roby had three blocks in this one. Nebraska had eight steals as a team. They forced in two games so far, they've forced 33 turnovers by the other team. And I 
think Maryland shot 30, yeah, 36% from the field, 30% from three. Uh, Nebraska held its own on the, on the glass, and they didn't give up a ton of, uh, they gave up one second chance bucket all game long against Maryland. It, are, is this the best the defense has looked in, I mean, Jesus, pick a date, like in, in however long we've been watching this? Yeah, it's up there. I mean, they started to get it going a little bit down the stretch in a couple of those games, close out the regular season after they had kind of let that slide. But um, and True Blood and Borkard and Thorby Arnerson are a big part of that. And not all the like Thorby Arnerson had five steals, but a, a lot of that was True Blood getting a hand in here and knocking a ball free. It was um, Palmer, like all these guys, just kind of active hands and. Uh, making things tough on the other team. And uh, Thorby Arnerson was the one who happened to get the steals in this game. Uh, True Blood had four in the last game, and a couple of those are just brilliant reads by him, helping off his man and digging down in the post or stealing a post entry and things like that. So um, it, it, they, uh, they were disrupted to start early. I think five of those turnovers were before the second, me- second or third media timeout. Um, so they were early on that kind of allowed Nebraska to hang around while they were trying to figure out their offense. So the thing is, the, the impressive part about the defense is how, how much of a string they're on right now and how well they're doing it together. Because a lot of these turnovers are rotations. There are guys making a great play within the scheme or guys rotating in, in the right time to, to get the ball or knock it free or helping each other out. So that's been the most impressive part of this defense. And with the personnel they've got right now, that's what they have to do because you don't have – like outside of Roby, you don't have really guys that are capable of making individually great defensive plays. It, it's got to be all execution. It's got to be all teamwork, all that kind of stuff. I, I want to ask you because it's it's very possible that, you know, we'll put this up on a Friday morning, um, th- late Thursday night, early Friday morning. People will listen to it. Maybe I mean, maybe people don't listen to it until Saturday, and at that point Nebraska has already lost to Wisconsin. And instead of, you know, the two wins, everybody just is just focusing on the one loss. But I think the two wins, it's important to not forget about the two wins um, because Nebraska has looked different. The team has looked different. They 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 were smiling uh, while they were beating Maryland. I haven't seen them smile a ton of late. And they were doing it like in the middle of a game when they weren't like not at the end of the game after they already – they were like doing it in the middle of the game. Like they looked – a little bit happier they look a little bit more they look a little less like the world is coming to an end every time they do something poorly like what what do you make of the mental state of this team um currently as we're sitting here on a thursday afternoon at like six o'clock i guess it's not an afternoon anymore but like thursday like six o'clock what do you make of the mental state of this team are they and and do you think they're playing for tim do you think they're playing for the seniors do you think it matters like what do you make of that yeah, um, it does kind of seem like they're just going out there with, well, got nothing to lose. Let's just lay it all out there. And I, I think they're they're playing for each other is how I'd put it. They're playing for Miles. They're playing for the seniors. They're playing for the guys that are hurt. Um, they, they just kind of all they, – they pulled it in tight, and um, they've really kind of gotten on the same page. And maybe that wasn't always the case during the regular season um, where guys were – kind of thinking they had to do certain things and um, it wasn't going well and things were kind of falling apart. 
Um, at this point, I think the pressure's off, and they're all just like, hey, whatever happens, happens. Let's just go out there, play our game, and um, let the call, let the cards fall where they may. And um, that has, it's kind of been uh, amazing how just that, that kind of mindset can produce results like this. Like, I, I'm not one that spends a lot of time thinking about the psychological side of things. Like I tend to focus more on the X's and O's and the personnel and all that kind of stuff. But we're seeing this season, it, it, and we've even talked about uh, before just Miles, the, the whole thing with uh, bringing in consultants and trying to get these guys to, to be able to play through adversity. And um, seemed like the this wasn't a group that could really handle that as they were. Um, and now we're past that, um, kind of all the expectations are off and they're back playing well again. So that's something that maybe I need to kind of give a little bit more credence to moving forward. Yeah. Because they handled adversity well in this game for the first, uh, well, they've handled it well the last three games for the first time in a long, long time. Like they had, obviously they were down, they scored 16 points in the last 47 seconds against Iowa. Like they were down and didn't give up. They, uh, came back against Rutgers, and then today they had, uh, you mentioned it earlier, they had that 9-0 run to begin the second half where Maryland just came out and uh, they'd cut the lead. It was 35-30, to, to I think, at yep. that point. 5 um, scoring drought, 5 Yeah, people were a little bit on the edge of their seats thinking, oh, no, this is going to happen again. Um, yep. I saw our buddy Jake Kokorowski tweeted a gif of, like, is Nebraska really about to blow this big lead? And I think that was, like... <laughs> Uh, on everybody's mind, uh, and then they responded. They responded with a nine-zero run of their own, and they ended up winning by eight. So, like maybe there is something to be said about the the mental state of this team. Maybe that has to do with a guy like Johnny Trueblood who comes in and has nothing to lose, and just goes out there and and plays his ass off and gives his all and leaves it all on the court. I mean, I don't, I don't. I mean, maybe that's just maybe that kind of energy that kind of positive energy is what these guys needed yeah and uh, it certainly seems to be the case and obviously you'd rather not have to get to this point where you don't have any other options you're kind of just you, you got seven guys and that's it um you'd like to be able to kind of get this out of the team when they're at full strength um and maybe you don't end up as a 13 seed but um that this is the situation they're in right now and uh, props to Tim Miles that the game plan, defensive game plan against Maryland was awesome. Um, I get the, if there's one stat you need to know from this game, it's that Johnny Trueblood outscored Bruno Fernando five to three. Insane. That goat status that, that make him that summarizes this entire game. That's retroactively make him first team, all big 10, <laughs> what, whatever spot Bruno Fernando held in the all big 10 teams. It now belongs to Johnny Trueblood. Well, I, I saw Aaron tweeted, uh, Aaron Sorensen tweeted, uh, looking forward to them building the statue for Johnny outside of Pinnacle Bank Arena. And, um, I'm, I'm on board with that. <laughs> this again, I, I don't, this three game ride he's on plus 48. Um, that's, it's just been amazing. Let's, uh, you, you mentioned, uh, the defensive game plan. It was brilliant. They, um, they like, for whatever reason, they played Maryland early in the season and they just didn't double team Bruno Fernando when he caught the ball and he just murdered them all game long. They yeah. doubled him today. So, and, and surprise, surprise, that worked. Um, they, but they did a really good job of, you know, they, they played more zone in the first half than I think we've seen from them in a, in a while. Um, 
and, and everybody was committed to the defensive game plan. Offense, they had a couple of out-of-bounds sets out of timeouts that they that they were really well drawn up, and they scored out of them. How would you um, how would you rate Miles' coaching performance so far through these first two games of the tournament? Oh, what's my scale? <laughs> um, I mean, like, is it is has he been? Uh, I he's I, obviously yeah. been better, but like, how much better has he been than he was in the in the season? Yeah, I. Again, you, you, as a coach, you look a lot smarter when uh, your players make shots. So that's been a big part of it as well. Like Palmer has been a completely different player than he was for long stretches of the regular season. But yeah, like his the the, the game plan defensively, especially, um, and the way we mentioned the way they're working around having two to three non-threats offensively on the court at any time. Um, all that, all that has been awesome like he's been a a big part of these wins um for his sake you you, uh would have hoped he could have figured out how to do that before we got to this point um because this is a three game sample size and however many games he's coached at nebraska and however many games they've played this season um so you don't necessarily want to be a prisoner of the moment but all credit to him for what he's done during these last few games because again i when I heard that uh, that Amir was out, Amir Harris, and obviously Donna Kenton got suspended, I'm like, what are they going to do? Are they just going to play their five guys 40 minutes a game? And um, credit to him for finding a way to get Thor and Trueblood in the, those lineups and uh, create functioning, uh, create offense with those guys out there. And um, defensively, it's tactically the 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 double teams and where they come from and the execution thereof has been awesome and then the effort has just been great and that's probably been the most impressive part is their ability to go full out defensively execute the game plan and still hit shots while playing such heavy minutes um you look at palmer and watson six of 11 from three in this game while playing 40 minutes each and they played 40 minutes last game so Tired legs, but they're finding a way to hit shots and play defense at the same time. Do you think it would have been beneficial to play Costello at any point in these first two games to try to get maybe Glenn some rest or Palmer like one or two minutes of rest? I I like Justin, but I don't think so. Um, I think Miles has handled this about as well as he can. Um, I during the season I was against this uh, these forty minutes or playing full twenty minutes and a half or. Um, but when you're in a postseason like this, um, and the pose- it's low possession games for the most part, and every every play matters, I I just don't think Justin would probably be ready for that. Um, well, at this point, it's it's you can rest in the off season, right? Like you got, like you have to you have to win, otherwise you're not going to be playing anymore. So exactly. So yeah, yeah and, I, and that way I get you. Yeah, I've I've criticized him for the way he was coaching this way during the regular season. But in this situation, and it seems like it's working. Like, again, they hit shots today, so they haven't showed signs of those tired legs. Maybe <laughs> maybe those heavy minutes during the regular season conditioned to get them through this. Um, we'll see if they can keep it up against Wisconsin. But um, I think he's handled that about as well as he probably could. I'm assuming uh, since Bill Moose was not at the game Thursday, was not at the game Wednesday, 
He's going to be out in California for the Cal spring game for his son. Yes. Uh, which will be Saturday. I'm assuming he won't be back this weekend, meaning there won't be any kind of resolution on Tim uh, until – like it's not going to happen this weekend. Yeah. So we can talk about his job and, and probably be safe. Like if Nebraska wins one or two more, they might be in conversation for an NIT. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think it was Sam McEwen from the Omaha World Herald tweeted that uh, Nebraska will accept an NIT bid if they get one. So it's quite possible the season's not over yet. So let's talk about this: these first two games, the way that Nebraska has looked, the fight they've showed, the uh, connectiveness of the team, and, and the, the way Tim has been able to kind of push all the right buttons. Does this, and you kind of hinted at this earlier, does this yeah. change anything from the first 220 games? Yeah, I, if it does, um, I, I don't think that's necessarily a... Uh a good way to go about making a decision kind of the prisoner of the moment. It will probably be the most impressive thing he's done here. Um, you, you look back at the NCAA tournament run um, in the first couple of years, and it was kind of a similar thing where they got on a, a run late. They had to win basically all the games that they did to even have a chance. Um, so that was an impressive coaching job as well. And good job, good work by those players. But um Squeezing wins out of this ragtag, shorthanded group um, probably goes right to the top of his coaching resume from his time at Nebraska. But at the same time, he, he, there's a lot on that resume. And the fact that winning two games in the Big Ten tournament goes near the top, I think, says a lot about what he has accomplished here. Um, but it's not just winning two games. It's winning two games with uh, oh, yeah. like four of your regular players you would like to play out, one of them well, being... I think Isaac Copeland is the best player on the team. Now, James Palmer is is uh, making that thinking look stupid with his last four games. He's got like 100 points in his last four games. Does that factor into this at all, the fact that he's doing this with uh, Johnny Trueblood as Mr. MVP? Oh, yeah, and I wasn't trying to cheapen this accomplishment at all. I was taking a shot at the, right, rest, no, of, yeah. the rest of what he's done here at Nebraska. The fact Fair. that, um, yeah, this is an impressive... Uh, little stretch here, but it's three games um, out of however many he's uh, his teams have played with him at Nebraska. So from that from that perspective, yeah, it's like I said, this is as impressive as anything he's done here, and he deserves full credit for it. But like I also said earlier, why do you wait until potentially the last few games of your tenure in Nebraska to show this kind of stuff? Where was this before? Where was this fight from the players? Where was this kind of connectivity um, from coaching from coaches to players and all that so um yeah tim um bill moose is gonna have to sit down and examine everything that miles has done at nebraska and determine whether if this little stretch here is this something that miles can do or is just this kind of a a fluky little stretch here or a last ditch effort to yeah save a job which everybody knows he he needed to do this otherwise there was not even a conversation about it so Two of James's highest scoring games of his career have come since March 5th. So he had 34 against Rutgers, which was one off a Big Ten tournament record, I believe. Yes. Uh, but it was a Nebraska tournament record. Am I correct? correct? Yes. Yeah, okay. He had 30 against Michigan State. What did he have tonight? 24, 24. on 8 of 13 shooting. Is he playing himself back into... 
uh, draft prospect conversation with the way that he is able to to f- manufacture points over the last four or five games in the most high pressure situations possible. I I don't think so. Um, it's kind of, kind of the same thing with the Miles discussion. Is what he's doing now is really impressive, and you're seeing what he can be at his peak. But what I guess it depends on how much value you place on peak versus um, average performance. And Palmer had a lot of opportunities this season to prove that he uh, could be a, a draft prospect and it just never happened. So um, he's put the, together stretches like this before. It happens to be coming at the best possible time, I suppose, this one. But um, overall, I mean, he shot 36% from the field this season and 31% from three. And oh. that's not going to get you into the NBA. What about Roby? Because oh boy. he had he <laughs> he had probably his best game uh maybe of a season or at least in a while against Iowa. Um and has two duds in the Big 10 tournament. And like the conversation with Roby is just so interesting because like what does he do? Does he I mean he flirted with the NBA draft last year and I'm assuming was probably told you need to be more aggressive. You need to prove that you can show a little bit more offensive awareness and offensive ability and, and take over games more. Still doesn't really have that. Still uh, scores rather inefficiently. Uh, I'm thinking of a sequence during the Maryland game where he, in one possession, had two open looks for three that the defense gave to him, and he turned both down and settled for a long step back two at the, the buzzer, which is not good. Um, like, is, is it getting to the point where he just needs to leave and, uh, lick his wounds and say, this is what I am and and still have a little bit of potential and hope that a team looks at him and says, well, he wasn't developed properly. We can do something with this, with this potential, or does he need to come back to school and risk that? I guess that potential going away and teams viewing him as, okay, he just is what he is at this point. Yeah, that. That is the question he faces this offseason, whether Miles is here or not. Um, I think maybe if you get a new coach in here, um, that could make it easier on him. Like he doesn't may not want to start over with a new coach, depending on kind of how that conversation goes. But uh, if Miles is back, um, and uh, that's the question he faces, because it's now two years in a row where he continues to show just massive potential um, on both ends of the floor, but he has never been able to put it together even for a few game stretch, really like you, again, you, you mentioned one of his best games of the season against Iowa and these last two now, um, again, he, he can't make a shot and that, that turning down um, open looks has always been an issue, but you look today and he was one of five from three. So he did, he's, even with turning down some of those looks, he took five of them and only made one. So the ball needs to go in for him too, in addition to him taking those shots. So I I think it'll come down to his belief in himself and what he thinks. So if he thinks like, hey, I know, I know what went wrong this year. I know if I come back, I can fix this. I can get better at these areas and I can go um, and, and make a better case for myself. Or does he think, like, 
he's got to strike while the iron's hot before, um, again, you don't see a lot of seniors that um, get drafted first round. Um, that, uh, but he healed. <laughs> yeah, Buddy well, Buckets. Heck, if you come back and do what Buddy Heald did, then sure, great job. Um, I don't think Roby's going to do what Buddy Heald did. I I don't think so either. <laughs> but but he but he set like three point shooting record and and led a Final Four team. I don't think yeah. Isaiah has the potential to do that. But Buddy is the perfect example of this, where he had a decision where he could have left, but as what second round pick, um, he, he had showed enough to be a prospect at the very least. It's just a matter of a team falling in love with him enough to select him. But he came back, got better, got a lot better, and played himself into the lottery. So he bet on himself and his ability to improve, went out, put in the work, and got rewarded for it. Um, That's There aren't a ton of stories like that. A lot of times guys that play well as seniors, um, they – they were either previously already kind of thought of that way or um, they just end up because they're senior, they don't see the same upside. And so they end up going lower than maybe where the season uh, just the results kind of would have led you to believe. But I, I don't really, it's just tough. I I don't know if uh, coming back would be the right decision uh, in terms of maximizing his potential. Um, but I also don't know if he's draftable at this point. So well, here, it's, it's gonna, I think it's going to be – it's going to come down to the offseason work, the, the workouts and feedback and all that kind of stuff. Well, here, you're an NBA scout. What are you telling him? The, the, the minute after his season ends, whenever that may be, what do you, what do you tell him? The, the issue with that, though, the, staying in school doesn't automatically mean you're going to get better. A lot of times – the development is better in the NBA than it is in college. Well, but, but I'm just saying, like, what are what are you? T- you're an NBA scout. What do you tell him? You need another year in school to prove to us that you can actually do this, or uh, come out now so that you don't ruin your potential. <sighs> I, <laughs> I I think a lot of teams probably think like if they get our hands on him, we can turn him into something. I think they probably trust their own development more than they do college basketball, especially for a guy, a junior going into a senior year where he's had a chance to kind of show what he is and what he could be. So I think, I don't know, like I said, it's going to come down to individual scouts and what they believe in. Uh, Cause there are definitely red flags that could lead you to think he's never going to get it. So if you're one of the teams that kind of puts more value in those red flags than you do the flashes, then I think you tell them, yeah, go back to school because you don't think he's going to make it anyway. But if you see what he's capable of doing and thinking, hey, if I get my hands on him, we can really turn him into something, then you tell him, all right, come out now, go work in the G League for a little bit, we'll put you through our development and see what we can turn you into. A very exciting open with a very sobering ending to basketball <laughs> talk so um that sucks johnny trueblood number one draft prospect for nebraska first round <laughs> draft pick book it let's spend the last couple minutes of this podcast talking about football because spring football is going on and i want to end this on a good note observations from you after talking to coaches talking to players um through the first two weeks of spring ball what's what's standing out uh, I, I think one of the main 
things that this team is facing right now is the the leadership void and the lack of upperclassmen contributors. And so I think a big part of this spring at a lot of different positions and overall is about finding who can be those leaders. Um, there's a certain, you can only make le- leaders to a certain degree. Like they've got to have those qualities already within them. Um, so you can't really not, make them. You yeah. have to find them. Yes. And you have to figure out in what way those leadership qualities can can present themselves and can help the team. And I know Greg Austin talked about that a little bit too and mentioned Matt Farniak, Bo Wilson, and Brendan Hymas all as having leadership traits, but very different kinds of leadership traits. Like Farniak's the, uh, the vocal one. Those other guys aren't as vocal and they're, they're varying degrees. So Bo Wilson apparently talks even less than Brendan Hymas does. Um, but all, those are three guys, those are your three most experienced players on that offensive line. So they're going to have to be leaders in some way, whether it's by example, whether it's uh, vocally in the, in the film room, even like just pointing some things out to the younger guys doesn't necessarily have to be a rah, rah, rally the troops kind of leadership. It's uh, Hey, I, I know I see something here that, um, that it would be good for you to know. And here, this is what you need to do here or something like that. So there are so many different positions where you're kind of facing that, where um, the guys that played last year weren't leaders. And so like a J.D. Spielman, he's not a vocal guy. He's a, uh, he's a guy that doesn't like to talk. He likes to just go out and play. Um, so you got to find a way to make that work and find out who the leaders are in that whiteout room and all that kind of thing. So that's the takeaway from talking to a few different coaches um, at this point is that kind of the leadership and establishing that and figuring out who those guys are. Does it surprise you that Matt Farniak has sort of come out of uh, the blue as maybe not just a, an established lineman, but a, a guy who's going to be maybe even a captain this year? Yeah, that's uh, heck. I, I think we all expected Mohamed Barry to be a captain, maybe Adrian Martinez, just by nature of the position he plays. But beyond that, I don't think any of us really had a great idea of who who might be captains on either sides of the ball. So um, if Farniak is as vocal as they say he is and um, kind of steps into that role, I, I don't know if there's anybody that's going to push him for it. So he definitely could potentially be that. Um, the thing He's going to have to back it up on the field, though. You can't talk if you're getting beat every other play. So... Um, with that leadership pr- uh, improvement, um, you got to improve on the field as well. Because um, with every leader, it's got to be by example to begin with. Otherwise, the vocal part's not going to matter. Guys aren't going to want to listen to it. So that's something that we're going to have to continue to see play out as well. And that'll happen into the season where we really learn um, who are these guys that the players listen to and follow. All right, Jacob Padilla, you probably have work to do uh well no it's not 2 a.m in the morning yet so you're probably not (laughs) going to start work until then um but we'll we'll call it a podcast thank you for coming on and talking basketball and dropping some football knowledge at the end appreciate it always fun to have you on to talk yeah thanks for having we'll have coverage uh through for everything through the weekend and through the rest of the week on hailvarsity.com enjoy your spring break don't do anything stupid and we will be back with another podcast next week Thanks, guys.